Well, hello, brothers. Greetings to you. I just uh, appreciate you so much continuing on in the study of God's Word in Genesis in particular, and I'm so privileged to be able to teach you today. And, you know, because I believe, as we have historically as Reformed people, that God blesses the reading and preaching of the Word, I'm going to read this whole chapter. We're studying chapter 31 today of Genesis, and I want to, uh, I want to read that whole chapter. It's 55 verses. It's a long chapter, but these, uh, this, the, this passage, uh, as the rest of the Bible, uh, was written to be read, to be read in the hearing of God's people. So we're going to trust that God had a reason for it to be written, to be read, and may God bless the reading and the hearing and the teaching of God's Word. So Genesis chapter 31, Jacob fleeing from his father-in-law Laban. Now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's, and from what was our father's he has gained all his wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. And the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was and said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. But God did not permit him to harm me. If he said the spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. And if he said the striped shall be your wages, then all the flock bore striped. Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. Then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, and I said, Here I am. And he said, Lift up your eyes and see. All the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled, for I have seen all that Laban is doing with me, with to you. I am the God of Bethel where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go out from this land and return to the land of your kindred. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us, and he has indeed devoured our money. All the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. So Jacob arose, set his sons and his wives on camels. He drove away all his livestock, all his property that he had gained, the livestock in his possession that he had acquired in Padan Aram, to go to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel stole her father's household gods. And Jacob tricked Laban the Aramean by not telling him that he intended to flee. 
he fled with all that he had and arose and crossed the Euphrates, set his face toward the hill country of Gilead. And when it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled, he took his kinsmen with him and pursued him for seven days and followed close after him into the hill country of Gilead. But God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream by night and said to him, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. Well, Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country, and Laban with his kinsmen pitched tents in the hill country of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, What have you done that you have tricked me and driven away my daughters like captives of the sword? Why did you flee secretly and trick me and did not tell me so that I might have sent you away with mirth and songs, with tambourine and lyre? And why did you not permit me to kiss my sons and my daughters farewell? Now you have done foolishly. It is in my power to do you harm. But the God of your father spoke to me last night, saying, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And now you've gone away because you longed greatly for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? Jacob answered and said to Laban, Because I was afraid, for I thought that you would take your daughters from me by force. But anyone with whom you find your God shall not live. In the presence of our kinsmen, point out what I have that is yours and take it. Now Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. So Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the tent of the two female servants, but he did not find them. And he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's. Now Rachel had taken the household gods and put them in the camel's saddle and sat on them. Laban felt all about the tent but did not find them. And she said to her father, Let not my Lord be angry that I cannot rise before you, for the way of women is upon me. So he searched but did not find the household gods. Then Jacob became angry and berated Laban. Jacob said to Laban, What is my offense? What is my sin that you have hotly pursued me? For you have felt through all my goods. What have you found of all your household goods? Set it here before my kinsmen and your kinsmen that they may decide between us two. These 20 years I've been with you, your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried, and I have not eaten the rams of your flocks. What was torn by wild beasts, I did not bring that to you. I bore the loss of it myself. From my hand you required it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was. By day the heat consumed me, the cold by night, and my sleep fled from my eyes. These twenty years I've been in your house. I served you fourteen years for your two daughters and six years for your flock, and you've changed my wages ten times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. Then Laban answered and said to Jacob, The daughters are my daughters, the children are my children, the flocks are my flocks, and all that you see is mine. But what can I do this day for these my daughters are for their children whom they have borne. Come now, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. And Jacob said 
to his kinsmen, gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap, and they ate there by the heap. Laban called it Yegar Sahedutha, but Jacob called it Galid. Laban said, This heap is a witness between you and me today. Therefore be it named Galid. And Mizpah, for he said, The Lord watch between you and me when we are out of one another's sight. If you oppress my daughters, or if you take wives beside my daughters, although no one is with us, see, God is a witness between you and me. Then Laban said to Jacob, See this heap and the pillar which I have set between you and me. This heap is a witness, and the pillar is a witness that I will not pass over this heap to you, and you will not pass over this heap and this pillar to me to do harm. The God of Abraham, the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. And Jacob offered a sacrifice in the hill country and called his kinsmen to eat bread. They ate bread and spent the night in the hill country. Early in the morning, Laban arose and kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned home. My dear brothers, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together and ask his blessing on this teaching from God's word. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your providence to us this day and every day. And we ask that we would meditate deeply on it from this passage and see that your providence in our daily lives is uh, but a small detail in this grand story that you are writing of the redemption of the cosmos through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, bring comfort to us. We need comfort. Oh, Lord, we need comfort in the middle of this pandemic as uh, men of God, as leaders in our homes, leaders in business, or leaders in our profession, uh, as brothers, as husbands, as, as friends. And, Lord, I pray that if one is listening, watching this this um, this this broadcast and, and doesn't know you in a personal way, I pray that the Holy Spirit would come through your word, by working by and with the word in his heart, that he might uh, long for a personal relationship with God the Father and, and get it by embracing Jesus Christ, freely offered to us in the gospel and clearly foretold in this passage. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Forgive me, I've got to make sure I get my clock up here before me. Uh, you, will, you will be glad for that, won't you? Yes, there it is. <clears throat> you uh, remember what happened <clears throat> in the last chapter, the end of the last chapter. Jacob alludes to it in this, the beginning of this passage where uh, he's, he's worked for Laban, and Laban was a cheat, but it takes one to know one, doesn't it? <laughs> Jacob calling Laban a cheat. Uh, and, and, uh, and, and, and Laban saw a way to, to unload uh, these less desirable 
portions of his flock on on Jacob. He said, "Why don't you take the striped ones, the mottled ones, and the black sheep of the of the uh, the herd? Why don't you take those, and I'll let you have those." And he, it's like getting rid of a bunch of dented cars. He thought, but but they were they were just the same. And in the end, and and then Jacob uh, thought he devised this way of 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 having those those uh, spotted and mottled uh, sheep reproduce themselves. What's interesting about the way, it's really interesting the way the, the, the last part of chapter 30 is written, verses 25 and following. It's written very differently from the way we see the first part of chapter 31. And Moses is, you know, the, the Bible in, is written very skillfully. The narrative portions are just as poetic as the others because they're written artfully in order to, to, to convey a point in the way they're crafted. And Moses, it seems to me, was crafting the last part of chapter 30 from Jacob's perspective. This is from Jacob's, Jacob's selfish perspective. But chapter 31 tells a very different story. Let me get into this with this story about Hannah Moore. Hannah Moore lived in the 18th century, early part of the 19th century. And uh, she is what a book I'm reading now called Gospel Patrons. This book would call her a gospel patron. The book I'm reading, you want to you may want to pick up that book, Gospel Patrons. It's a it's about it's about the supporters the generous supporters of the most famous uh, ministers of the gospel throughout history. Uh, that uh, those who, who used their, their funds and their resources and their influence and their power to, 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 to spread the gospel. Hannah Moore was, and a number of them were women. Hannah Moore was just such a woman. Uh, she uh, supported the English Reformation in uh, the latter part of the, uh, the newer English Reformation, particularly that of Wilberforce and John Newton and others who stood against slavery and so forth. And the story is told about Hannah Moore that she, a wealthy woman, went to buy a carpet one day, went into a carpet shop, and she looked at this grand carpet that was hung in the, in the showroom, and uh, she said to the owner of the shop, there is no beauty there. I mean, there were strings hanging off of it and, and, uh, and, and going in, in various directions. There seemed to be no pattern to it whatsoever. There is no beauty there, she said. The man, the owner of the shop, said, this is one of the most beautiful carpets you have ever seen. Here is a piece hanging out and all in disorder, she said. How could you say this is so, so beautiful? He said, do you know, ma'am? You're looking at the wrong side. <laughs> she was, she's looking at the back side of the carpet. You know, the threads had been had been stitched through and tied off in the back, and there's no concern about cutting them in any, or arranging them in any, any sort of pattern. The pattern is on the other side. And brothers, I, I, I want you to I want you to understand from this chapter that what we're what we're getting in chapter thirty one is the beautiful explanation of the uglier side of the story as Jacob viewed it from his own self-centered perspective at the end of chapter 30. 
And, 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 and I want you ultimately to see that this is the comfort we have as, as Christians who believe in a sovereign Father, a sovereignly gracious Redeemer. That we are the people who have heard the joyful sound that Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Jesus, the sovereign one, saves by working all history, coordinating all the cosmos, everything in our world to the praise of his glorious grace. Well, let me show it to you. And I'm going to do it this way. I'm going to show you, I'm going to talk a little bit about scene one. We're going to go back and review a little bit. Scene one is is the way is is the story as as Jacob would see it, as we would see it, with our human finite perspective. And then scene two is coming around to the other side of the carpet, the other side of the tapestry, and seeing the beautiful story that God is weaving. Well, scene one, without reading uh, the end of chapter 30, is what I described earlier, how how Jacob uh, thinks he is devising this way to increase his herds by taking uh, uh, various uh, uh, kinds of saplings and, and cutting white streaks in them, you know, shaving, off the, shaving off the bark with his pocket knife and, and, and making the stick either striped or mottled. And, and then he would, he would put it in front of the, the, the sheep as they, were, as they were drinking water or as they were mating. And, and he thought that by that kind of that kind of of, uh, of of action he was he was creating he was expanding that flock himself well it's, it's not just jacob who who's taking pride in himself it's also laban and let me show you what they're doing jacob jacob you know think about think about how he views himself at this point uh, from his perspective he has a beautiful wife he has 11 sons and a daughter. He's a self-made man. Well, you know, you know he, uh, he, 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 he figured out a way to steal his father's inheritance, tricked him out of it. He tricked his brother. He, um, he, 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 he struck out on his own. He got this beautiful wife by... Um, by, by a display of what he thought was superhuman strength. Remember, uh, Rachel came to the, to the well and she wanted to feed her flocks and the, and the stone was covering it and it took, you know, it took a small army of men to move a heavy stone like that and he grabs it and moves it out of the way and she's impressed with, with Jacob Charles Atlas there and, and he, he wins this beautiful wife and then he endures 14 years of underpaid labor And you might think that Jacob would say, thank you, Lord, for, for these blessings, but we don't really find that in chapter 30. Jacob is just trucking along here, thinking that he is, he is making himself a wealthy, powerful man. He's bringing vengeance and revenge back on this man who's trying to cheat him out of himself. Jacob has long been impressed with himself and is no different. And then there's Laban. Laban um, Laban's quite proud of himself too. I mean, after all, he's, he's gotten this cheap labor 
how this strapping young man, he, he married off uh, his daughter Leah, the homely one, as the, the one of weak eyes. He tricked Jacob and substituted Leah for Rachel and, and, um, and then got another seven years of labor out of Jacob for working for, for Rachel. He's quite proud of himself. And, <clears throat> and then when, um, then he does a background check on, on uh, Jacob and, and consults some kind of, by some kind of divination, the Bible says, and he, he figures out who Jacob is and, and, and that Jacob is, is somebody blessed by God. And so he, he, he cuts the deal with him, with the, with the flocks and, and so forth. J- and Laban is very proud of himself. He, he thinks that it's by his own ingenuity, his own resourcefulness that he has gotten to where he is and he has one leg up on, on Jacob. I'll just pause at this point and say that it's very possible for us to feel the same way about ourselves, isn't it? And this pandemic has really shaken us to our roots. It has, it's shaken me, I'll tell you, brothers, the preacher included. So many things that I counted on, so many things I took for granted. I can be, I can think that the reason I'm healthy is because I exercise or I eat right. I can think that the, that the reason things are, they're going well at the church is because I'm making the right decisions and I can think that my family's going along well because, well, because we're good parents and we're hard workers and, and so forth. And I would suspect that you have the same tendency. There's nothing like an unseen virus that can expose the weakest parts of your body and ultimately take your life. There's nothing like a virus that can send such a panic through the society that it could shut down the economy worldwide. There's, there's, there's nothing like the, like a, 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 I mean, it's just a, a virus. A virus is keeping us from our, from our, our grandchildren or, or, or others that we, whom we love so much, and we find ourselves weakened. And it exposes how proud we have become and how self-sufficient we thought we were. It's really exposed that of our, it's, it's especially exposed uh, that in our nation, hasn't it? You know, I, I remember in the, in the last uh, recession, the, <clears throat> the, the crisis in 08, 09, and um, Alan Greenspan, the, the chairman of the Fed at the time, made a statement that, that rocked the world. He said that the mortgage crisis had, um, had demoralized his worldview. The mortgage crisis had demoralized his worldview. What do you mean by that? His worldview was based on Ayn Rand. Ayn Rand was a Russian immigrant to the United States who grew up in St. Petersburg in 1917. And she was reacting against atheistic communism, and what she developed in counter, in, in counter to atheistic communism was atheistic ca- capitalism. And uh, Ayn Rand was largely unknown uh, until Greenspan had 
really made her popular. And her her, her book uh, Atlas Shrugged, and I think they made a movie about it and so forth. It, uh, nobody really paid much attention to Ayn Rand except economists. Uh, and uh, but Ayn Rand taught that that. Um, that here's what she says. Here's basically that, that self-interest is what makes the world go round. Here it is in her own words. My philosophy in essence is that is the concept of man as a heroic being with his own happiness as the moral purpose of his life, with productive achievement as his noblest activity and reason as his only absolute. This was Ayn Rand's religion, that um, the moral purpose of his life is his own self-preservation, his own happiness. The pro- that, that productive achievement is the noblest activity there is, and your brain, your reasoning power, that's the only absolute there is. Ayn Rand objectified even her own family members. She, she said that the the only reason she served her family and, and, and spent time with her family was for her own happiness. What's disturbing to me is how, how popular Ayn Rand has become. Uh, Ayn Rand is mentioned without apology, even by, by professing Christians as, a, as, as something that is an, a worthy worldview for us to adopt that will be the solution to our, to our economic troubles or our political problems. It's, and, and why? Because, it, because, it, it, because that's who we are naturally. And few of us have the courage to say something that boldly, but when somebody else says it and a group of people create a plausibility structure by which it is accepted on a wider and wider basis, the more, the more bold we can get at saying, you know, the most important thing is my happiness. And, and yes, if anything's going to be done, I'm going to do it. And, I, and, and my brain, my opinions, my views of things, those, those are what's absolute. It's a pathetic way to live. It's a very irrational way to live. And so... From that, from that perspective of, of uh, that, that, that limited human finite perspective, that, that self-inflated perspective, we turn to the story behind the scene. Not, not the story of Jacob's blessing as he sees it, but the story of Jacob's blessing as God tells it. That's what you find in chapter 31. And, and I want to make a, a few observations from these verses that will show you just what kind of God you have. Uh, number one, you have a God who is a provider. Now, verses uh, 4 to 9, you notice the different way this story starts to be told. God has somehow worked on Jacob's perspective. Uh, the sp- uh, God did not permit him to harm me. Uh, God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. He begins to give credit 
to God. And in so doing, he, he becomes more rational, becomes more realistic. Our catechism says that God's providence is his completely holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions. That's the best way to live. That's the most rational way to live. That's the most comforting way to live. That is to turn to the Lord and say, I don't have anything except by you, and I will not have anything except by you. Please, Lord, let me start every day in total dependence on you. I have a friend who's a CPA, and he's a very plain-spoken man. He's a, he is a very godly man, and he, and he will tell you the truth. He doesn't care if he's going to lose your business or not. And uh, he had a client uh, years ago who, who was always bragging when he'd come in his office about how he, he was a self-made man. He had picked himself up by his own bootstraps, and he had everything he had, he had earned and then one day it came that the it was a, it was a recession. It just knocked the feet off. It knocked his feet off from under him. His estate was in was was in danger of of crumbling before his eyes, and he was frantic. My friend saw it as a time for strong medicine, and he said, "I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. It must be an incredible burden to be your own god." You've been your own God thus far. You've, you've made your world yourself, and now your world is falling apart. And you, as your own God, you've got to figure out how to put it all back together. <laughs> he used that as a point by which to... Uh, use that as a bridge across which to carry the gospel to this man. The second point I want to show you is, point out, is that God is not only the provider. He's provided everything that Jacob had. But in verses 10 to 13, I want you to see he was his protector, his protector. Uh, Jacob was coming to realize that the reason he had been blessed, the the reason he was preserved, the reason he he was saved from Laban's attack, ultimately from Esau's attack, there the, the reason he, that, that Joseph was born to him was all because God is, was writing a grander story. Now, there's, there's, there's a key verse in chapter 30, verse 25. As soon as Rachel had born Joseph, as soon as Rachel had born Joseph, everything begins to turn in this book when Joseph is born. Jo- to Joseph's life is dedicated 14 chapters of the book of Genesis. Some see Gen- Joseph as the pinnacle of the whole book of, of Genesis. And Joseph, of course, being sold into slavery and rising in prominence, saves the, the world from, um, from salvation, uh, from famine. He saves the world. He's the... He's, he's the, the the precursor, he's a foreshadowing of what Jesus would do. And, and this, is the, this, is what, this is the story that's being told. Everything in Jacob's life is occurring, not because Jacob is so special, not because he is, he is so, so, so resourceful. Everything in Jacob's life is occurring as it does because God is telling this grand story 
that is going to be even greater than the story of Joseph, that one man is going to be born of a woman who will rise to prominence and, and save the world. His name is Jesus. This line of Jacob and through Joseph is being preserved because this is the line through which the Messiah would come. This is the, this is the story that was announced in Genesis chapter 3 when he said even to Adam and Eve after they had sinned, the seed of the woman or the, the seed of the serpent will, will bruise the, the heel of, of, the, of the seed of the woman and the, the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. This is the whole story. God is going to bring one born through a woman, namely Jesus, who is going to crush the head of Satan. And all the turmoil and the battle that you see in the Bible is around that narrative. Jacob, you're being provided for. Jacob, you're being protected. Not because you're a great guy. You're a cheat and a scoundrel. But I'm protecting you. I'm bringing through you... Uh, of a son named Judah. A son named Joseph is going to save the world and save the line through which the Messiah will come and then Judah will be the, the father of the, of the tribe through which Jesus will come. And he's doing the same for you. He's writing a bigger story. And because he's writing a bigger story, you may be sure that you're being protected, and you're part of that story, and that story is called The Lord Saves. That's the, that's, the, that's the verse that's in the very center of Jonah. The Lord Saves. God is writing this whole story, everything that's happening, everything's happening in our world, everything's happening in your, in your life is ultimately a detail being added to this grand play, this grand drama that's going to be totally unveiled someday at the judgment day. And everyone is going to step back in awe and say, praise you, Lord, for your glorious grace. The Lord saves. Well, two other points quickly. One is that he is not only the provider and he's the protector, but in verses 22 to 30 and verses 43 to 55, we see that God is the controller, the controller of all things, even the, the things that are, even the thoughts and actions of unbelievers. It's, here's this, um, this, this consultation that Laban makes, or, or, or Laban gets this, this word on his way to meet Jacob, and it's, a, it's from God. It says, don't, don't speak either good or bad to, to Jacob. It's, it's ironic, isn't it, that uh, Laban, after a long speech, tells him that God told him not to speak either good or bad. He said a lot of both. But he got the message, don't touch Jacob, don't harm him. It's comforting, isn't it, that God controlled Laban's thoughts and caused Laban to act the way he wanted him to act. We can be very afraid of people around us, of of machinery, of, of, of political machinery, but we must know that God controls the actions of every creature and every action, not just that of believers. And then, and then, um, and, and even to the point of, of, of Laban saying, we need, to, we need to make a covenant here so we don't kill each other. 
The final point I want you to, to, to see, and it's, it's really the most important. It's verses 14 to 21 and verses 31 to 42. We see God as a redeemer. You see the, the, the trickery of Jacob? That's his, that's his default. He's always trying to figure out a way to get one up on the other person. He's, he's always going to find a way to sneak out or sneak around. So we see that in chapter 30. We see it in verses 14 to 21. He hears God say, I want you to leave. And he says, okay, I've got to figure out a way to get out safely. <laughs> if God told him, I want you to leave, I'm going to take care of you. But Jacob can't trust that. He's got to have a, got to have a backup plan just in case God fails. And, and he's taught his wife the same thing. Rachel, who has been given this beautiful child, Rachel, as she's fleeing, thinks, boy, I need a backup plan. I better grab my father's gods. So foolish. So offensive. I mean, what good are those gods? She's got to hide them. If they're so powerful, just bring them out. Let them shoo away her father-in-law. The point I want to make is, by pointing out these Two characteristics, these characteristics of these two people, the same characteristics, two people. God is a redeemer. God is a redeemer. Every time you read in the Bible, the God of Jacob, I want you to take comfort and realize if God can be the God of Jacob, he can be my God too. God persisted in redeeming Jacob and Rachel despite their sin and their failings. Now, it's a beautiful story, this tapestry. Let me conclude this way. One of my favorite books of all time is The Hiding Place by Corrie ten Boom. Corrie ten Boom was a daughter of a Dutch couple. And... Um, who hid uh, Jews during the Nazi occupation of Holland. And ultimately, they were put in prison for it. She and her wife, she and um, her sister, Betsy, were put in prison. The rest of the family died. <clears throat> Betsy was a very, very strong Christian. And Corey admits that she was not as strong as Betsy, and sometimes Betsy's faith would annoy her. They were ultimately put in the, in the infamous prison Ravensbrook, which was a particularly horrendous place. And, and Betsy one day concluded that she was convicted uh, by 1 Thessalonians 5.18, that we should give thanks in all circumstances. And so she was challenging challenging Corey to start giving thanks for every single thing in their life. Well, it really it dro it drove Corey up the wall because they were in Barracks 28, which was an especially bad place. The, the hardest cases were put in there, the, the most violent women, as well as overcrowded, it was lice-infested, it, it reeked of sewage, and it had fleas. And Betsy, Betsy would say to Corey all the time, Let, praise God. Thank God for the fleas. I'm not going to thank God for the fleas, Corey. Say, well, there's no good thing that comes from fleas. Betsy, in that, along with Corey, had a Bible study. and A lot of women came to Christ. They, they, they could read, they could pray, they could sing, and they never were, 
they never were stopped by the, the Nazi guards. They wondered about that. And they had to start multiple services. So many women came to it. One day there was an explanation. They gained an explanation as to why the, the Nazis had never broken up their meetings. The women in that barracks 28 were, were supposed to knit socks, and there was a confusion over the sizing of some of the socks. And so one of the women asked the Nazi guard to come in and, um, and, and, and clarify the situation. And he said, absolutely not. I'm not going in there because of the fleas. <laughs> they, they realized that's why they, that's why they could have their Bible studies, why they could worship. That's why they could, they could lead people to Christ. The fleas were their protection. There's a story behind the story. This is a very ugly time of history and of our lives. I don't know what the beautiful final story will be of this particular pandemic. I'm, I know you can see beautiful things, I'm sure, in some parts of it now, but hints of it. But we may know from God's Word in a passage like we have today that no matter how we see it and however imperfectly we see it, we may know that God is writing a bigger story. And someday we will worship the Lord Christ on his throne with our very eyes. And we will be able to say, and thank you for COVID-19. Because even through this, you have demonstrated the praise of your glorious grace. Let's pray together. Our dear Father, we pray that you would send your spirit to accompany this word that we have heard, that we have read, and work it deeply in our hearts, that we would live in obvious ways, uh, conveying to those around us our confidence in a sovereign Redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you.